Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched 25th Hour. Cornered by the DEA, convicted New York drug dealer Montgomery Brogan reevaluates his life in the 24 remaining hours before facing a seven-year jail term. Diana, it's been so long since we've argued about a movie. Yeah. This is a good movie. <laughs> it's, it's a crap movie. This is actually a good movie. It's a horrible movie. Do I think it's great? No. Do I think it's good? Yes. Uh, you're wrong. Crap. <laughs> crap. And it's long. Okay, here we go. I'm going to I'm going to give my summary statement and then you can give yours and then we'll see where we end at the end, okay? This is an imperfect but really interesting case study of New York post 9/11. It is a case where the story itself is doing something a lot bigger and to my mind, the script, not the directing is the problem here. The script lingers a little too long on certain aspects, but had it kept to a much more simple story, the directing would have shown through for how perfect this movie could have been. So it's not, it's not perfect, but it is an allegory. And I think that has much more to do with Spike and our cast than it does with the writing. State your case. I'm going to refer to our Kubrick rule. If you need context to understand your story, your story sucks. There's just a whole lot of scenes of nothing. And it goes on for two hours you think something's happening and then nothing happens the most interesting part of this film is the end when we get this montage of him living this other life and how he's rebuilding under this other person this other name this whole movie was pointless there's literally nothing about 9-11 other than one guy is living next to the wreckage of the twin towers rest this bullshit they don't talk about 9-11. It's nothing. They don't have to. It's there. It's all around them. But it's not. Mm, it is. It's it is. not a it's part of the with fucking it. story. All three of these guys are representative of different aspects of New York. But they're Every really character not. is an archetype. Yes, it is. Any of their connective tissue is bullshit. All of their interactions are bullshit and forced. You could remove the entire story of Anna Paquin and Philip Seymour Hoffman wouldn't make a goddamn bit of difference to this story. The only part of the story that is remotely interesting is Monty, Naturel, and his dad. Those are the only things that actually matter, that are actually interesting. And guess what? We get maybe 30 minutes of them in the whole movie because the rest of it is just people talking for no reason. Mm. This movie is so bad. <laughs> It is so bad. It is such a waste of time. It's been so long since we had a movie fight. Yeah, we don't movie fight very much. <laughs> Not anymore. We've come to similar conclusions. We we really disagree on this one. I don't think it is. I I I think there's a lot buried under there that comes through on screen. I do think, yes, there's a whole bunch of this that isn't necessary. I think it would be a lot better. If if Philip and Anna's characters didn't have that, that the tension was just there, but they were orbiting each other still, I think there's you know a level of of too long. But I think a lot of that more is from the failures of the script writing, and I think Spike adds all this extra flavor to it that I think makes it a really compelling movie. There there are only two moments that are Spike, and that is the rant at the mirror and the still shot. 
which he does in everything. That's it. There's nothing else spike about this movie. This movie is trying to be Magnolia with all these different interconnected stories trying to like weave throughout, you know, the central thing that doesn't exist in the world. They don't ever actually deal with. It's garbage. It's a very good movie. And here's the thing. Magnolia was so much longer and better. This and this is, is a very beyond good movie. Garbage. The budget for this movie was five million dollars. It made thirteen million in the U.S. and twenty-four million on the global. And once again, I am in agreement with Mr. Roger Ebert, who puts this on his great movies list. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> Our writer is one David Benioff. Yes, that David Benioff. God of the double Ds. Before he started writing, because this is his debut movie, he wrote the novel that this was based on. Okay. After this, he would write Troy, Stay, The Kite Runner, X-Men Origins Wolverine, Brothers, Game of Thrones, and Gemini Man. Hmm. What do we think of the writing of this movie? It's really, really bad. It's not great. I mean, if the story's bad and the writing's not good, there's no amount of directing or performance that can fix it. I don't think it's... Bad, that bad though Matt you've just now contradicted yourself it's a great movie it's so wonderful the writing is shit this writing is not good this story is not good I'd be curious about the novel because a lot of things tend to get lost or simplified in an adaptation so I wonder if there is better connective tissue in that but you know what seeing how uh, David Benioff has progressed as a writer and showrunner, I'm thinking no. I don't think it's the greatest script. I'm not contradicting myself by saying that I already said that. Mm -hmm. I think the directing is what makes this movie good. There is no direction. Yes, there is. To me, the thing about it is it's, it's in the monologues to me where it captures me. And a lot of that has to do with how it is framed and who is performing the lines. But there is so much of it that is within the characters that I enjoy. I I think this is one of the rare instances when the movie does not have to reveal a whole lot about the specific story to get the point across of what it's trying to say to me. Okay, what's the story saying? What's the message? The message is that all of New York has to reconsider what the fuck place they're in after this big, huge, nasty thing. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. (laughs) No. That is not a message at all contained within this movie. Mm, I disagree. No, you can disagree. You're wrong. Though Monty's bathroom monologue is similar to the stereotype scene that was shown in Do the Right Thing, it is actually taken almost verbatim from Benioff's novel. Uh, although the references to 9-11 were excluded in the, ori- the original novel was written before the attacks. So the source material had nothing to do with 9-11, and that remains true for the actual film. Oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll talk about it. The movie does diverge in some other ways from the book, and the novel Monty never doubts Naturel's loyalty. He always completely believes that she's on his side. The subplot's added for dramatic effect in this movie. That's a bad writing choice. That's another one where I'm like, no, 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 no. That didn't need to be there. Well, without it, their, their relationship is no longer interesting. Uh, I don't think so. And half the people in the movie don't serve a purpose anymore. Because he's spinning his wheels about whether or not who he can trust. If the person he's closest to, he trusts, then who cares? Who cares if everybody else is sending him up? Doesn't matter. And in the final speech to Monty, his dad talks about the possibility of reuniting with Naturel. The novel says, has his dad saying, you will never see her again. 
This is so bad. It's <laughs> the only part of the movie that was interesting. It's literally the only part that That's the liked. part I didn't like. It's the only part I did. I like, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> movie fight. Movie well, because, fight. Because that's going on, and I'm thinking this is how his dad's outlining how his life could be if this is the path he takes, and then we don't really know if he takes it or not. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I liked about it, because he's got to make a choice, and that choice sucks. And so I'm fine with us not knowing what he chose to do. It's fine. I just felt like that final moment lingered way too long. It could have been shorter, but the whole fucking movie could have been shorter. Well, I don't disagree, but that's why I've said I'm not the biggest fan of the writing. I still think it's a good movie. And the reason I think it's a good movie is Spike Lee, our director. Okay, state your case, man. Everything is dripping with the malaise after the attacks. Nope. Every single part of this. Yes, it's malaise. It's called a blue fucking filter. <laughs> no. and, and since when has Spike ever used that in any of his movies? Oh, oh! so he learned something new? Great. Good for him. He did not add anything. I could not watch this film and say this is a Spike Lee film. And know that. Nothing. Nothing about this movie says Spike Lee. Or, ooh, this is different for him. Nope. This is just crap. Oh, you're so wrong, though. No, I'm not wrong. This movie is All of the different stuff about uh, about all of these quintessential New York people, one being on the underground, one being in the rich tour uppity times one on the on the muddy dealers you have natural in all of these they're all archetypes not and good he frames ones. them like that no but they're Every not single one of them yes they uh, and are here's the thing. he doesn't frame them that's the fucking script and they're not even well framed that has nothing to do with Spike. Yes, it does. That's it not. It has everything to do with Spike. You just want to praise this movie because Spike had something to do with it, and it's crap. No, I don't. I think it's legitimately a good movie. He didn't rewrite it. He didn't change things to make it his story. Oh, no. Nope. <laughs> movie is garbage. It's real fun when we do this. <laughs> no, we don't do it very often. <laughs> like, we'll argue... And we'll kind of like nudge the other one about certain things. This one, there's there's going to be no middle. No, no, no. Not even a little bit. No. All right. Let's talk about our cast. Okay. And we start with a gentleman named Edward Norton, who we, I think, have talked about as an Arpon only because of our Wes Anderson series. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think we've ever done a film where he was like the lead in. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's Edward Norton. I don't need to give you all these credits. Fight Club and Wes Anderson films. You know who he is. Rounders. Oh, geez. Rounders is good. That's my uh-huh. damn joint. The Italian job. Uh, he is a dick in that movie. And he was also being a dick in real life. He's kind of a dick in real life. It depends. He was going through some shit from like 30 to 45. <laughs> I think he needed to find the right people to collaborate with, to be perfectly honest. And I think he has now. He's fucking great. I have nothing bad to say about the cast in this movie. They are one of the biggest reasons I love it. The performances are incredible. He is very good. But at what? Like, Edward Norton is never bad in anything. This film is just not that good. He did remind me a lot of his character in Rounders, now that you've mentioned that. It's a very similar vibe. And that's okay. I think what I, what I do really like from this is that he's played this character a lot. Mm-hmm. The difference to me in this movie is that this character is actually having some self-reflection, whereas in a lot of roles, and I'm not saying every, I, I haven't seen American History X, which I know is a very different thing, 
But like in Rounders, he's sort of the antagonist because he has no self-reflection. In this, that's all he's doing. <laughs> and that, I think, is really interesting to watch, where he's much more of a reactive character than he typically is in a lot of these movies because they put him in a very sort of nervy, jumpy role. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird to put a nervy guy in your lead role. And I found that really compelling, especially from him. Norton is one of the biggest reasons the movie got made. Mm-hmm. He has stated that he took all of the money he made from Red Dragon, which came out right before this, and used it to help finance the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, who could have been better? Toby Maguire. Oh, interesting. Toby bought the rights to the novel as a starring vehicle for him. Mm-hmm. And then he got Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, well, like, I obviously can't. So he stays on as executive producer, which is why at the beginning we saw that name and we were like, huh? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And per Benioff, quote, the first time I saw Edward Norton on set, he pulled back his hair and showed me his widow's peak. In the book, Monty Brogan has a widow's peak, but I hadn't mentioned it in the script. Mm-hmm. Edward wanted to be in character so much, he wore a prosthetic widow's peak for the entire shoot, unquote. That's a little odd. Dedication to the role. Mm-hmm. We then have Philip Seymour Hoffman as Jacob Alinsky. Mm-hmm. He's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Getting to watch Ed Norton and Philip Seymour Hoffman against each other is just like watching a, an acting masterclass. Uh, false. False? Their interaction is pointless. <laughs> Again, you could delete Philip Seymour Hoffman from the entire film. And here's the thing. <sighs> fucking love me some Philip Seymour Hoffman. Fucking love him. Truly, truly heartbroken when he passed away. So I'm like, oh, we're never going to get more of that guy. He's the best. Like, he doesn't bring anything to this film. Not that he's, his performance is bad, but his character serves no purpose. So it's like, I don't care. Like, this is not interesting. But it does! It's not like when Pacino and, and um, what's his butt are talking to each other in heat. Like, no. Somebody has to represent the soft, weird, upper middle class side of New York, and that's what he is. Nope. Yeah, he is. He's so good at it, too. No. We then have Barry Pepper as Frank Slaughtery. Before this, he did lots of television, Saving Private Ryan, Enemy of the State, The Green Mile, Battlefield Earth, 61, Knockaround Guys, and We Were Soldiers. After this, three, The Dale Earnhardt Story, The Three Burials of Melchiades Estrada, Flags of Our Fathers, Seven Pounds, Casino Jack, True Grit from 2010, The Lone Ranger, Kill the Messenger, and Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. Absolute perfect casting. Yeah, I mean, he's he's good as the finance bro who's downtown, like. The stockbroker guy? You gotta have one. It's a New York movie. (laughs) No, no, you gotta have that. I don't care what your movie's about. You gotta have a finance dude. That's fine. It's a really interesting way to do a performance where you have somebody so hard at the beginning and over the course of the movie, you have to break him down. Mm, I didn't really see that with him. I did. I saw a lot of that. I do feel like with his particular character, he was... There was an element, and I'll say this is in a positive way, there was an element to his character, like atoning for his own bullshit through Monty. Mm-hmm. That's why like he went so hard with like his last night and all that shit. Um, there was an element to that with that guy that was a good undertone. I don't know if that's so much the script or the performance, but that was well done. I will yeah. give it that. <laughs> Nobody performed poorly, okay? Nobody acted badly. Just their writing was shit. Fun note, Barry Pepper is also the voice of Showtime All Access Boxing. Hmm. So he is noted as being an announcer in Creed 3. Oh, yeah. 
He's the narrator yeah. of all the 24 access things. Yeah. Yeah, the channel access for the, the coverage, which is very cool. Pretty fun. Then we have Rosario Dawson as Naturel Rivera. We already talked about her for He Got Game. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting watching how much better she got between He Got Game and this movie. Yeah. Like, the confidence is fully there as an actress. Well, also, let's not forget that there was Josie and the Pussycats in between this, too. Yes, yes, Diana, I know, but... <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats is one of the best underrated films ever! Yeah, it's very good. We're also talking about another very good movie, 25th Hour. No, we're not. <laughs> it is rated. No, she's great. She's really good, especially yeah. opposite him. Yes, she is. Um, I like them together. Don't really love that um, the plot point that they met when she was still in high school. You know, a child. That is probably my biggest complaint from the script is like, we didn't, we, we don't have to do that. No. And we could have had the next character we talk about also not have an actual romantic interest that there's this tension there, but it doesn't happen. No, but here's the thing. It's fucking New York. How many goddamn colleges are there? Make them all college students. Then at least they're legal. You can have an age difference. It can be an inappropriate power balance, but at least then it's not, you know, children. Having him be a professor probably would have fixed a lot of those issues where he's an NYU professor and not a prep school teacher. Yes. (laughs) Uh, That that would probably save a lot of things. (laughs) Um, And given you, I think, even more of that emphasis of like where he Mm -hmm. comes from in that certain subset of New York. Uh, who could have been better here? Alicia Keys. Oh, okay. I could I could see her doing it. That was during her like rise in, in heyday. So yeah, sure. I could see that. And finally, we mentioned Anna Paquin as Mary Denunzio. We have talked about her before, of course, for her debut feature in which she won an Oscar, mm-hmm. which is nuts. It would have been nice if she was, I, I don't know. She's, she's great because she's Anna Paquin. Yeah. But her character had no point. Like she really didn't. She was just basically just a, fantasy for you know what's his butt and that's fine but we spent a lot of time on her for really no payoff well instead of her being such a specific on the no stereotype that at some point they would have played against it for her Mm -hmm. where it was what the fuck are you doing yeah and like she gets into the club but then there's this awkwardness and he's like i can't i can't do this and she's like well like she's she's written to be like that manic pixie dream girl but that she then she's not that so it's just it's not good yeah yeah who could have been better here Brittany murphy uh she would have played this more unhinged and that would have been a good way to go i think so i think so because anna doesn't get that like there's something off about you like clearly there is but it's but she doesn't play it that way and that's not that makes her weirder in a bad way yeah. Brittany Murphy is really good at being a little unhinged. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that would have been the better way to go. All right. Then we have some Arpons. Random people of note. Brian Cox as James Brogan. He is Brian Cox. Love him. Doing his best Irish New York accent. He's fabulous. He, it was very, after having watched all of Succession, it was very weird to see him not yelling fuck every five seconds <laughs> and not having a beard. He looks really good with a beard. He looks older in this movie than he did in Succession. He does. And this is 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. But, you know, Brian Cox is great. Tony Siragusa as Kostya Novotny. He is better known as the Goose. He played 12 years as a nose tackle in the NFL and then went on to be one of the most fun sideline reporters for Fox. Mm-hmm. 
cast a football guy as your big as your big Russian beefy dude. I love it. Also, Syracuse had enough of a personality to be able to actually play a character. Levani as Uncle Nikolai. Uh, he's a Georgian Soviet actor who appeared as a bad guy henchman in a ton of movies, including Air Force One. Isaiah Whitlock Jr. as Agent Flood. Shit. Love to see him. His catchphrase was, of course, taken from his character in The Wire. Spike loved that phrase. And this is going to be one of many appearances of Isaiah Whitlock throughout Spike's movies. <laughs> well, and he does that in pretty much everything he's in now, so... Of course he does. It's his calling card. No, man. Patrice O'Neill as Kari, one of the bouncers, an incredible comic, uh, left us too soon. And he gets a nice little moment here. Mark H. Simon as a character, Schultz. He is actually the legal counsel for a ton of different movies and productions. So Mm -hmm. Spike brought the lawyer in to be in the movie. And Oleg Prudius as Russian Hood 1. He is a Ukrainian tough guy and a wrestler who goes under the name Vladimir Kozlov. Okay. We have one extra piece of trivia, Diana. Oh, okay. And then you can tear this movie to the ground. Oh, great. During the scene where Ed Norton curses his father selling whiskey and cheering the Bronx Bombers, the patrons of the bar were actual firefighters from Rescue 5 in Staten Island, New York. Mm. The 11 firefighters that are shown in pictures in the scene were actually killed at the World Trade Center, all from that unit. Well, that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And that leads us to ratings. Mm-hmm. For every movie, we have a specific rating system. For this movie, we're going to go Doyles. Doyles. How many Doyles? Because he's a good, good dog. Good, good boy. Mm-hmm. Well, even a good, good boy can't save a crap, crap movie. Mm-hmm. How many Doyles are you giving this movie, Dana? Uh, I'm going to give it one and a half. Okay. Uh, good performances. Like, everybody showed up to work. Nobody embarrassed themselves except for Benioff and Spike. Like, those are the people who embarrass themselves. So they can't save this movie and uh, would never watch again. And that's saying something because I totally rented this movie. Like, yes, rented from the Blockbuster video a long ass time ago. And for some reason, I don't know if I was just distracted. I was like, ah, I don't really care. And I had to return it before I actually fully watched it. I think I made it 30 minutes in. And now watching it, I'm like, oh, this is why I didn't make it any farther into this movie. It sucks. Three and a half Doyles. Oh, Jesus. It's a good movie. That's like the biggest discrepancy we've had in like a year. It's a very good movie. Now, is it great? No. And I do agree there are issues with the script. I don't go so far as to say it's a bad script, just that there are issues and there are tweaks that I would make to fix it. But I think it does rise above that to be an actual vision and statement. I think the performances are great. I think it's cohesive. It makes sense to me. And so I give it three and a half doyles. Well, and there are films that I don't like, but I recognize are good movies for a variety of factors. This is just not one of those films. I don't like it, and I don't think it's good. Mm. I just don't. Oh, no, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. Movie fight. Movie Movie fight. fight. TM, TM. All right, what are we watching next time? We are going to go forward and backward. Oh, okay. Because Spike made a heist movie. Cool shortly after this that diana you and i both love which which one is that that's inside man oh i remember we we did yeah that was back uh when when did that film come out 2006 Ooh, that was in our dating days we saw that in the movie theater i don't think i knew much about it going in i definitely didn't know that was a spike movie i didn't know it was a spike movie that was fun that was good times we just knew clive owen and denzel washington 
And since we're doing that, we might as well also take a look at Spike's other crime movie. Okay. From 1995 called okay. Clockers. All right. We're going to get a double dose here. We're going to double feature it up. We'll take a movie we have seen, get to know it a little better, and then we'll go back and watch Spike back in his older days. All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.